0: Welcome to Crossroads Church in Rowlett. We're so glad you're here. Join us here for our weekly sermons or visit crossroadsroulette.org for more information. Well, good morning once again. So grateful to be here with you. Uh, I always am so glad to be able to come here and preach. This isn't my first or second or even I don't think third time. Uh, to be with you. Uh, Before I get started, some friends from Mesquite Friendship are here, the Wilsons. If you guys just wave your hands, thank you so much for coming here and supporting uh, your pastor. And so you guys have been dealing in Isaiah, uh, the ninth chapter, the uh, sixth verse. Uh, You heard the video earlier. You sang uh, the song today. My assignment is specifically uh, when we consider this prophecy from Isaiah, uh, when he calls him Mighty God mighty God. When I think about this, I think about my own personal journey and how through seasons of life I have seen God show himself in different ways. It's wonderful to know that God is moving and working on your behalf when you don't even realize it. The Bible specifically says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When i think about who god is i think about how amazing he is that he decided to take all of our sin all of our iniquity all of our shame upon himself he is mighty enough to save mighty enough to bear the weight of the world one of the things that my kids miss out on because they don't watch commercials Uh, they're too busy watching netflix no commercials hulu no commercials Disney Plus, no commercials. They don't get a chance, the opportunity that many of us got, which is to watch commercials. So they miss out on things like learning that Jim Adler, he's the Texas hammer. <laughs> they, they, they miss out on commercials like um, call 267-8433, yeah. Because the next best thing to do is doubt- yeah, they, they miss out on that. They, they miss out on for some reason some way somehow a giant glass pitcher busting through sheetrock <laughs> saying, "Oh yeah, and it's <laughs> the Kool-Aid man. They know nothing about that." But one thing I remember from my childhood is this psychic by the name of Miss Cleo. She would say, "I don't know where she was from, but some sort of Caribbean accent, call me now for your free reading." She was a psychic, so she said that she could tell you your future. She would tell you what would happen in your life. And and I I thoroughly believe that none of that is godly and of God. But here in Isaiah, we discover not a psychic but a prophet. Word from God about the coming Savior of the world, about what he would come to do. In Isaiah, he's a prophet, not a psychic. And and in chapter 9, verse 6, he prophetically proclaims the coming of the Christ. We can conservatively say that when we look in scripture that Jesus fulfilled at least 300 prophecies during his earthly ministry. I love it because Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 says that he will be called. Everybody say called. called. This word called quite simply means to be have a name or a title or a designation attached or attributed to you. He will be called. This is what we will know him as. And we will know him as this because he will show these signs of this being who he is. He will be called. And one of these titles is mighty God. Mighty means to be superior, to be a hero, to be powerful, to, to be strong. God, in this text is in the original Hebrew language, this word L. Every time we see L, it is singularly used to describe who God is. As a matter of fact, in the first few times in Genesis, when we see El, it's saying God most high, the God most high, the one, the only. There is no question. There is, there is no um, wondering about who we are referring to. This is the creator of the heavens and the earth. This is God. Really, when it comes down to it, the simplest way Isaiah says when he says he is mighty God is quite simply to say he is powerful. He is powerful. So for us today, there's three ways in which we discover how powerful and the power of Christ in this text. We see, first of all, that there is past power. Everybody say past power. power. Power we see displayed in the past. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That's power right there. But then John chapter 1 verse 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. So who is this word? This word is Jesus Christ. So John lets us know that in the beginning, Jesus was there, and Jesus was God, and Jesus was with God. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we see in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So ipso facto, if Jesus was there in the beginning, he has all power, power to create. I I love this because the beginning matters. Being there in the beginning matters. Here, here's some things that we can uh, discover from this. In the beginning means that, that, that we know that, the, that, the, that God, we discover the eternality of God. Let me put it that way. In other words, that God is, he is eternal. Here's, here's what that means. There is no beginning to God. There's a beginning to the beginning, but God was there before the beginning. So therefore, there is no start date for God. There's no start date for God. That means there is no end for God. He is eternal. He supersedes time. That shows the power of God. The fact that he is, before there was light, before there was air, before there was oxygen, he is not dependent upon anything. He is eternal. He needed nothing to get him started. He has always been God. So therefore we are to understand if Jesus was there in the beginning, and if he is God, therefore we understand that before he put on flesh, Jesus still was God. So for him to be a mighty God shows the eternality of Jesus. He supersedes time. Not only do we discover that, but we also see the energy of God. The ability to just create out of nothing. How amazing that is. The absolute extreme power of God. To tell the sun to shine, you've got to be strong. To tell water to be wet, you've got to be pretty strong. We see the energy of God in the beginning, so therefore we understand if Jesus was there in the beginning, he has the same energy, he has the same eternality. We see the efficiency of God. Here's what I mean by this. He did not have to use a generator to have power had power in and of himself he was able to do it there was no question about God's ability to create and Jesus is there in the beginning he's there as well to be able to do anything but fail at this creation moment but then we also see the effort of God when God creates everything he looks at it and he says it is good So whenever God does something, he does it to perfection. His holiness that we sang about is the chief nature of God. We understand that everything about God derives from his holiness. So therefore, if God created there in the beginning, if Jesus was there in the beginning, anything Jesus does is perfect. It's good. Uh, I've done a few projects um, around the house, and um, every time my wife complains, I tell her that's not my full-time job. I don't, I don't do this for a living. When she complains about my sermon, I say, oh, I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> but no, do you know how hard it is to make something look good? I mean, have you, has anybody ever painted before and, or you ever tried to do some woodworking before? And, or maybe you've tried to work on a few things before, and you've discovered it's really hard to make things look decent. But God effortlessly makes things perfect. This is the very nature of who God is. Therefore, it is the very nature of who Christ is. So when we say he is a mighty God, we see this past power that is on display. From the moment of creation, we see that Jesus has all power, past power in his hands. This is is real, real power. This is not a a scheme. This is not a dupe. This is nothing fake. This is is true power power. When he, when he writes this, when Isaiah writes this prophecy, he's not trying to trick anyone. He's saying that he will be, he is a mighty God. Many years ago, there was a guy who was selling uh, solar uh, dryers, solar clothes dryers for $49.99. There was an ad, solar-powered clothes dryers for $49.99, and everyone was purchasing them. It sounds like a great deal. A solar-powered clothes dryer, $49.99. How amazing would that be for you to own one? And and, and he sold it, and he marketed it in a magazine, and he sold thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars of these solar-powered clothes dryers, and when people received them in the mail, they discovered it was nothing but a (laughs) clothesline. He said one thing, and it was true. It was solar-powered clothes dryer. But people were deceived. But when we say that Jesus is mighty, there is no deception to his might. Because if he was there at the beginning, he's still here now because of the eternality of God, the effort of God, the efficiency of Christ. He is a mighty God. Not only do we see past power, but here's what I've discovered from this. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, is a very personal testimony in my life. Much of my life has been an up-and-down roller coaster as I have wrestled with different things as it connects to my faith. Uh, my dad is a pastor, grew up in the church. He's a, a church planner, uh, just retired in June of this year. After 42 total years of ministry, his life has been a legacy of faithfulness to God, and I was a PK growing up, and I rebelled. As a matter of fact, as soon as I turned 18, I could not wait to get out of the house to run as far as away from everything I knew about church. And I remember I began to wrestle with this idea of faith. I began to wrestle with what I really, really, truly wanted to believe for myself. And I would read all of these sacred texts from all of these different religions. And I was looking and I was searching for who God truly was, what God truly was. And I looked at all of these different books and I read this person, I read that person, I read this text and I read that text. But something about when I opened up the Bible and I turned to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, I read something that nobody else wrote, which said, in the beginning... There was something about realizing the beginning of time that no other author of any other sacred text could say that let me know that God is real because if he was there in the beginning, he was still there in 2007 to change my heart and my mind, to give me a word to preach and to touch my life in such a way that it was turned around. This is a mighty God. So we see past power, but then we also see public power. Here's what I mean by this. Jesus, he comes, and he comes to show himself that he is God. And he does this, that throughout his ministry here on earth, he does and performs miracle signs and wonders. This is public power. Nobody was there at the beginning. No one got to witness the awesomeness the stars being set in their place. Jesus, he comes, he's born, he lives, and he begins an earthly ministry, displaying things that are beyond the imagination of those who are around him, doing certain things that would captivate the hearts and the minds, the mentalities of the people who he is connected with. And in each something, in each miracle, he conquers something. This is the epitome of might, being able to conquer something. He conquers something in each one of the miracles that he performs, he conquers doubt. There are 5,000 men, not to include women and children, who are hungry after they have come to listen to the words of Jesus Christ as he is preaching, and he tells his disciple Philip, Philip, feed these people. And Philip says, we only have 200 denarii, which is not enough to feed these people. He doubts that Jesus already has a plan in action as he looks upon the people, and the Bible says he has compassion on them because it's getting late and all the shops are closed and they're going to be hungry. And he says to Philip, find them something to eat, and Philip doubts that anything can happen, but in that moment he Conquers doubt. Tells them to sit down, and he takes two fish and five loaves of bread, and he feeds five thousand men, not to include the women and children. He conquers doubt. Not only do we see him conquering doubt in that way, but he tells his disciples one day, he says, "Go over on the other side. We're going to make it over there." And he's there on the boat with them, and they they're on the boat all together. And Jesus, he he falls asleep. While Jesus is asleep, a storm comes out of nowhere that wrecks the boat so much so that some of these men who are by trade fishermen who are accustomed to being on the water are so racked with fear that they say, we are going to die. Wake up, Jesus. He wakes up and he says, oh, ye of little faith here in the boat with you. How can you doubt that you're going to make it to where you're supposed to be? And in that moment, he conquers doubt by first correcting their lack of faith, but then he speaks to the wind and the waves, and he shows how he's even able to conquer the elements of the world. He conquers everything. He's a mighty God. Not only does he conquer doubt, but he also he conquers darkness. There was a man who was born blind. His name was Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. He was blind. He was sitting on the side of the road. He yells out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Let me parenthetically pause and put this in here for somebody who you might be in a place of darkness yourself, maybe not a physical blindness, but spiritually you are walking around in the dark and you don't know which direction to turn, which way to go. It seems as if everything about your life is falling to pieces. You are in a great place to hear a great word that says that all you have to do is say, Son of David, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Much like what he did for Bartimaeus, he will stop what he is doing and come see about you. And the Bible says that this man who had to deal with blindness was healed of that blindness, and Jesus can do the same thing for you because he is a mighty God. Right. He conquers doubt. He conquers darkness. But I love this one. He conquers death. The Bible says in John that there was a family that Jesus loved. A guy by the name of Lazarus and his sisters Mary and Martha. The Bible says that Jesus gets word that Lazarus is sick, but he stays where he is for a little bit longer. And before you know it, uh, he did not go see about Lazarus in that moment, and Lazarus dies. Jesus makes his way to the home of Lazarus, and everyone is weeping. They are They are sad. They are consumed with the fact that Jesus, who they had seen heal before, that he let this happen. And and how could he let this happen? And and, and Jesus, uh, he does something which, which blows my mind to this day. He goes to the tomb of Lazarus, and he calls his name, Lazarus, come forth. And when Jesus calls the name of Lazarus, death had to let Lazarus go, and he came out of that grave. He conquered death. It'd be one thing if Lazarus was the only death that he conquered. But do you know the reason why we are here, the reason why we sing, the reason why we lift our hands, the reason why we praise him is because he conquered death himself. Yeah. They tried to put nails in his hands and into his feet and to lay him in a borrowed tomb, but Jesus, he conquered death so that we too might conquer death. He is a mighty God. That's who he is. Have you ever tried to wrestle someone who was stronger than you? You lose every time. But Jesus, nothing stronger than him. He has an ability to wrestle all of your anxiety, all of your doubt, all of your difficulty, all of your shame, all of your sin, all of your depression, all of your death, all of your doubt. He, he has an ability to take care of everything that is in your life if you will trust him to be the mighty God of your life. Here's the truth of the matter. Something will be your God. Either you will be your own God. You might make your children your God. You might make your, your occupation your God. You might even make your marriage your God. But the truth of the matter is, none of them are mighty enough to save you. Only Jesus is mighty enough to do that. Here's the last thing I have for you this morning. We see past power. We see power personified when he comes here on earth and he begins to perform these miracles. But here's the last one. We have petition power. Petition power. Uh, my mom is a completely different person now. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, when I started having kids, she turned into a completely different lady. <laughs> Grandmother mom is completely different than mom mom. Mom. I see my kids doing things that I would have never imagined doing. The other day, they were running through the house, and I was just waiting for her to say, all right, that's enough. Sit down. No, it never happened once. (laughs) Do you know she gave them ice cream in the middle of the day? (laughs) I I thought ice cream couldn't be consumed until after dinner. Here they are eating it in the middle of the day. They had ice cream for breakfast one time. I'm like, what is going on around here? The other thing that happens is every time I try to get onto them a little bit, she intercedes. When I try to correct them, I try to tell them what not to do, especially if I'm over her house. She intercedes. I'm like, where was all of this intercession for me? But here's what I mean. She, st- she stands up for him. She sticks up for him. When the wrath of an earthly father would come their way, she steps in between. And you know Jesus does the same thing for us. When the wrath of a heavenly father, because of the wages of sin, because they ultimately should lead to death, he steps in between, and he steps in for us. According to Romans chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the father, which is a position of power, making intercession for us. He is petitioning on our behalf. Here's what happens. The devil he is an accuser. He wants to say to God, Do you see what they're doing? Do you see what they've done? You see them sinning. And while he is accusing, his accusations fall on deaf ears because Jesus is right there petitioning for us on our behalf, saying, I've already covered that. I've already paid that price. I've already shed the blood for that. He is a petitioner on our behalf. But here's how that happens. It happens because he is the only mediator. He's the only one that is between holy father and the Hellfire. here's the truth of the matter i know we celebrate and we sing the song mary did you know but mary cannot petition for us the pope cannot petition for us jason's a wonderful pastor but he cannot petition for you the only one who can do that is jesus christ He has the power to stand between the wrath of God, what we deserve because of what we have done, and take that upon himself. That is why we celebrate what we celebrate, because Jesus has paid it all, all to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. He is a personal petitioner. In other words, the only way in which he will stand for you is if you have a personal relationship with him. It's wonderful to sing all the songs about him. It's wonderful to do all of these other things about him. It's, it's wonderful to see presence under the tree. It's wonderful to see all of these beautiful things. But the truth of the matter is, nothing matters more than knowing Jesus for yourself. i never forget one day I was struggling in college, and I called my dad, and I said, Dad, I need you to pray for me. And he told me, he said, son, I'll pray for you, but there's going to come a day in your life where you have to learn to pray for yourself. And he told me that over 20 years ago, and it still sticks to me to this day because that was the truth. I could no longer rely on my parents' faith and my parents' religion. I had to understand it for myself, and I've come to tell somebody this morning that you've got to know Jesus for yourself. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. That's why we call him Mighty God, because he's mighty to save, mighty to heal, mighty to redeem, mighty to deliver, mighty to set free. The question for you today is, have you experienced his might? Have you seen him change your life in such a way that you no longer want to be the old you, but you want to be a new creation in Christ Jesus? Have you allowed the Holy Spirit to rest, rule, and abide in you that you might live a life that is reflective of what he came to do, which is not just to be born, but to die? Nothing worse than to waste grace. To know that grace is sufficient, to think you need to do something on your own. But no, we are to wholly, and completely, and totally depend on Him because He is a mighty, good God. Let us pray. Father, we thank You. We adore You. We lift You up because, God, You're worthy. Father we thank you for your word how it's real and how it's true. We thank you that you did not let us die in our sin. But you sent your only begotten son to die for us. Now father help us to be reflections to this dying world of what it means to serve a true and a risen savior. Father give us the words we might speak to somebody else about your goodness. And we might, as the song says, go tell it on the mountain. God, you are almighty mighty God. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for keeping us. Thank you for redeeming us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.